Hey, and welcome to another episode. This episode is sponsored by Solvetto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solvetto EduHouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhouse.fi slash cloudpro. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with Yuzi. What's up, my friend? Hey, Tobias. I turned 46 recently, and I now realize that I've somehow become my dad. I hit up the sauna for Saturday evening. We have a pizza Friday at home with the kids every Friday. I'm actually looking forward to cleaning the car and the garage this coming weekend. <laughs> and lastly, I'm super glad that if I have a 20-minute drive to, to pick up one of my kids from the basketball practice, for example, I don't have to do any phone calls. I can just sit silently, drive, thinking my own thoughts. And when I was 30, which was 16 years ago, this felt like the end of the world if, if I had to do any of these things. And right now, it feels quite awesome. Yeah, it's, it's funny how perspectives change as you grow older, because I, I have similar situations that I will not dwell into right now. But yeah, definitely in your 20s, late 20s, early 30s, this is not something that you would consider enjoyment of life. But today it's like, ah, oh, this is pretty, pretty nice. I get 20 minutes by myself in the car. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, and again, this is also a sign of my age, I guess, I'm planting potatoes. So I grow a lot of things you can eat, including tomatoes, chilies, cucumbers of all different types, basil, herbs, you name it. Now I'm tackling the next kind of fun experiment, and that's gourmet potatoes. So I'm potting them this weekend, and that means I will be planting them in portable pots or buckets. And this way I can adjust their location on the very small garden lot that we have. So with that, tune in again in about two months or so. And then you can hear about all the successes uh, of the harvest of my potatoes, hopefully. That sounds awesome. So this is Control Alt Azure, the podcast about planting potatoes and turning old and, and doing sauna. And, <laughs> maybe, and we need to have the, maybe we need to have that Azure Farm Beats thing we talked about all those years ago um, to, to control the harvest. Exactly. Alrighty. So this week we will be talking about the expectations on Microsoft Build 2023. So that will be close to end of May. And finally, it will be an on-site in-person event, but also a hybrid event. So you can you can take part virtually or you can actually travel to Seattle and attend in person. Toby, I think. I know what you're going to answer, but any plans or any sort of wishes to to travel there in person? Plans, no wishes, maybe. So I, I don't have a travel budget. So the answer is no, I'm not going there. But I also don't necessarily see a reason for going there right now. As with the most recent years, I do attend some of these things uh, remotely, but it's not the same thing for me. I usually go to a conference to meet people, not to attend sessions. And ever so often, when it's been Ignite or a Build or another type of conference, I find myself maybe reviewing one or two sessions and, and the recordings or slide decks afterwards, but that's it. So even a full week of content, I usually only dive into one or two topics uh, because you know I, I never had the kind of requirement or need to dive into this wide range of things that's out there. But it's often very good to you know, get the, the forefront, 
kind of information for that one topic that you're actually working on or that you need more information about or that you are just interested in. So for me, I'll be going virtually. Uh, but going virtually means I will not stay up all night watching them live on the U.S. time zone as I'm based in Europe. Instead, I will catch up on the recordings uh, that I find interesting. Uh, I will see the keynotes. I think there are two keynotes, or well, there are several keynotes, but like two keynotes that I'm interested in that we'll talk about a little bit later. So I, I think, yeah, that's it for me. If I did have the budget and did not have any like work commitments during that week, I would probably go. But the other reason is May 23rd is my birthday, and that's the first day of build. So it's going to be perhaps slightly unpopular at home if I go to the US to attend a session uh, or our conference on technical stuff when I'm supposed to be home and having a barbecue. That's that's an accepted excuse for sure. Uh, the last build I was taking part as as an in-person event where I actually traveled, I think it was 2018 maybe, that could have been in San Francisco. It was maybe three days, a lengthy travel to get there for three days and then traveling back already. So build this year will be May 23 to 25th. And there's also a pre-day workshop, which is customary now for these large events. That will be on May 22nd. So if you attend virtually, it will be free of charge. If you want to attend in person for the events, uh, it's about $1,500 for the ticket plus hotel and travel and, and going being away from home, not doing perhaps billable at the same time. So it's it's a sizable investment if you plan to go in person. And I feel now uh, when these sort of large events are gradually opening back to in-person events, I feel there's huge value in going there. But at the same time, I don't know anybody, any of my friends who would go in person. I know plenty of people will go but they are probably not from my circles. So if I were to go there, I'm not sure I could find the communities and the friends and the people I know. So that would force me to actually talk to people I don't know. And I'm not <laughs> comfortable with the idea. Yeah, no, I, I agree there. I hear the same thing. I do know some people that I am acquainted to will go, uh, also from Europe. So there are people committed to to getting there and, and learning. And, and I also heard that like what I said is for me personally, I maybe attend one or two sessions, but I also know some companies, uh, they might send a representative, if you will, for the company to go into the sessions and make notes. And then you do kind of a trip report and saying, well, I watched 15 sessions and here's the takeaways. And they do a presentation when they get back home. So I think from that angle, there's huge value in that as well. Because when you go in person, you do dedicate that time to the conference as opposed to online. For me, online means it's in the U.S. time zone most of the time, and I will work normal business hours during the day, and then I jump on to the build sessions at night, and that means I'm spending, what, 16 hours a day just working or going to a conference. But if you go there in person, you don't do the work. Maybe you check your emails, you do some follow-ups and have a phone call, but you don't do full days of actual business work. So I think that's a... Um, a justification in itself to go in person because you get dedicated time to network. You get dedicated time to actually attend the sessions you you want and, and have a full focus on that. 
So hopefully someday I'll be back to those in-person events. Same for me. I, I'm doing a couple of events in Europe uh, in May and June. So there's the European Collaboration Summit in late May. I think it's slightly overlapping with BUILD. Then there's the Tribe Conference in Slovenia. And then the European Power Platform Conference in June in Dublin, Ireland. So I'm, I'm already looking forward to actually traveling, doing the in-person eventing, presenting, meeting new people, meeting friends. But at the same time, flying from Finland to Germany, it's, it's two and a half hours. So it's super convenient as compared to flying to Seattle. I think it's 10, 11 hours if you get a direct one and it's not a cheap flight. So for build the featured speakers, I, I think they include the usual suspects. So you have Scott Guthrie, Satya Nadella, Scott Hanselman, Kevin Scott, Mark Rusinovich. But then there's also Panos Panay, the, the guy who oversees, I think, all of Windows now. So I feel that build is also perhaps branching out a bit or not, not just being about Azure or the cloud in general, but there's plenty of stuff on Power Platform, on Windows, on Microsoft 365 as well, even if there's a separate conference for that. And perhaps it's also to service the audience better. Not everybody works on strictly on Azure, but on technologies that connect with the cloud somehow. Yeah, and I, I think it's like looking at the uh, at the website, it took a look at the session builder that's available now uh, for everyone can go in and see kind of the, the structure of things. So I think it's quite close to the normal structure that we've seen in the past events as well, where you have keynotes, then your whatever topics, maybe that's the thing that changed that it's now topics instead of like a core theme. In the past, you could have the theme for, I think was it Ignite last year was less is more or whatever. Like there, there was a theme for doing more with less, but now it's just topics the way I understand it. And then of course the the networking, if you go in person, that's a huge benefit. If you do it digitally, I think there is some room for networking using the the website as there is usually, but it's super limited. And I've I've tried that and I couldn't actually find a single person to properly connect with because of you know how that works. Because if you go to a session live, you can just talk to people, either you know them, maybe you don't, but they're in the same room and you can kind of just start talking to them. When you attend a virtual session, you only have a chat box and you can type stuff in there and, and there might be a thousand messages just scrolling past you. So that's super tricky. Like what are your expectations on on that and the structure? Is there, do you expect any any new cool stuff to happen here or is the format, you expect the format to be the same as we've had the last couple of years and then like the actual changes are going to be on, on what's presented. I feel for people attending remotely, us, the, the online free attendees, for us, I feel it will be mostly the same. A fairly frictionless experience where you open build.microsoft.com on the evening of the event, local time for us, and then you choose what to watch, maybe this keynote, maybe that session. And then everything gets recorded, and then the following weeks you sort of catch up on the interesting bit. What I do see from the schedule now that there's dozens of sessions that are pre-recorded, so they are done already, perhaps, or they're doing those in the next couple of weeks. 
So in that sense, I think it takes away a little bit of the ex excitement that, oh, this is going to be awesome if you know that, well, this was done four weeks ago. So why didn't you just publish that before the event? <laughs> but for, for the sessions themselves, I'm glad that most of the breakout sessions are both digital, meaning online, and in person. The last day of the event, May 25th, seems to be only in Seattle, so not online. Perhaps we get recordings later on, but we seem not to be getting live streams from those sessions on the last day. And I don't think if I if I look at any of the sessions, they haven't built the, the actual schedule yet. They have the sessions, yes, but the schedule on what time are we getting each session? Because I recall last year, the session started at around 4 p.m. my time in Finland, and they ran until midnight. And that typically is the time that I simply cannot sort of retreat to my home office and say to the family that I will be gone for eight hours. I will be listening on stuff. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, well, that is not happening. Unless, obviously, <laughs> I do the 20-minute car drive, and then I can listen on whatever I like. You see, get up from the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. So in a, in a way, I'm happy that we already see the session topics titles. I think there will be last minute injections to, to sort of keep the surprise element in there. And I recall last year for Ignite, which I think was it in October or November 2022 Ignite, I recall plenty of the keynotes were pre-recorded as well. But the mm -hmm. wording on the build side, is now implying that the keynotes would be live. So the people would actually travel to the Seattle Conference Center and they would deliver those live instead of pre-recording them. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's the maybe that's how it's gonna work. But I, I think that was the the way the last time as well. Like it it was streaming live, but it may have been recorded ahead of time. But what I also liked about previous ignites and maybe from previous builds as well is the last couple of years, they do this time zone overlap. So if there's a session you're really interested in, in attending and it's, I don't know, 10 p.m. your time, whatever time you're located at, then they have a rerun of the recording of that session the next day in your time zone. And I really like that. But it's like one of the things I enjoy going to a conference is to be there when it happens, to discuss with people what you just saw in the keynote and, you know, spin ideas on, on what that means for, for your business and stuff like that. But I, I love that opportunity to say, all right, I, I'm not going to go to a session at 10 p.m. because I've got my family to tend to. But in the morning at 8.30 a.m., they're going to rerun it on my local time zone. So that's that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, I took a look at the session builder. So I, I think we can make some quality guesses on what will be talked about. Well, not really guesses anymore because the session builder is live and you can just go there and take a look at the actual sessions that that exist and are listed. So I, I've taken a look at some of those. I have some interesting ones. There's about 286 uh, six sessions right now, uh, which is, again, a lot for the time span. And like I mentioned before, I don't go to the conferences to attend all of these sessions because, number one, it's impossible because they usually run in multiple tracks at the same time. Um, but also there's just too much info to kind of dive into. 
uh, I guess I'll just go back to Azure OpenAI GPT-4 and say, hey, can you summarize the entire build thing for me in five words? And and then that's it. But yeah, so looking at the sessions, uh, did you find any particular sessions that you think you're going to like? Yeah, I actually skimmed through all of the 286 sessions listed. So some of those will be roundtable style local only sessions in person ones. Some of those are pre-recorded. Some of them are breakout sessions and some are marked as a demo. I'm not sure what that means. Perhaps there's sort of an expo area where they just do demos on stuff and those are not streamed either. Two sessions that I will definitely watch. One is uh, called Accelerate Development with Visual Studio and Power Platform. So I'm I'm eager to see the latest innovations on, on that side. The other one is building and maintaining your company co-pilot with Azure ML and GPT-4. And if you go through the breakout sessions, that's maybe what, 180 sessions. It's nearly impossible to find a session that does not mention Copilot or AI or OpenAI or GPT-4. So mm -hmm. even if there's no centralized theme, it revolves heavily around generative AI now. I think that's going to be interesting. I love those those sessions that you mentioned. I'm, I'm not doing a lot with the Power Platform, so maybe I'll skip that one, but I'll I'll rely on your summary of uh, that session. And uh, yeah, I might actually take a look at the, you know, building and maintaining your company co-pilot with Azure ML and GPT-4, like you mentioned as well. So I, I have three sessions that I found um, that looks really interesting. One is the Scott Guthrie keynote, and, and it's called Next Generation AI for Developers with the Microsoft Cloud. And I think that's going to be about talking about AI and the innovations um, and like making those real for developers um, using things like GitHub Copilot, Azure OpenAI service, and, you know, the Microsoft Cloud platform and the tools you need for really produce next generation AI infused applications as we call them these days. So I think that's going to be interesting. There's another one which is by Mark Rosinovich, and that's called uh, Inside Azure Innovations with Mark Rosinovich. And he does these kind of sessions all the time, you know, in, in different uh, Ignites and builds and stuff like that. And and I highly recommend them. So Mark is a CTO and technical fellow. Michael Schott is a super brilliant guy. And he's usually touring like the latest innovations in Azure, explaining how the data centers may work and, and you know, how the cloud works and how Azure works, like pretty high level, but it's very good insights into, you know, some backgrounds and some information on Azure and the data centers and the thinking and how things actually work, not just that it's someone else's computer, but it's like, this is our cloud. So usually those sessions are pretty cool. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And I, I guess the third one that I have is by Kevin Scott, who's also a CTO. The session is called The Era of the AI Copilot. And I think this is about exploring how Microsoft and OpenAI's kind of full stack AI platform now, which is fueled by Azure, can really empower developers and startups and entrepreneurs and all, all kind of people in different roles to just innovate and develop the next generation of AI apps. So again, we're coming back to what I see as a, a kind of common uh, theme here is, people talking about the next gen code or the next gen applications or the next generation of AI apps or AI infused apps and tools, making really the impossible possible. So that's also 
something I would definitely recommend to take a look at, the era of the AI co-pilot with Kevin Scott. So those would be my three picks. They all look really interesting. Uh, we'll put the links directly to these five sessions that we mentioned in the show notes as well. So go and take a look at the session builder and you can also register for build so that eventually when the event takes place, you can actually watch these live sessions and you also get access to the recordings. I'm not sure how it will go this year, but quite often um, the presenters will also share any possible possible PowerPoints or slides that they are showing. And back in the day, let's say 2015, when you got a copy of the slide, that was awesome. There was so much stuff in there. But recently, I feel that the slides are not that useful anymore, because quite often the slides are just a skeleton for the actual demos and whatever they're planning on showing. And obviously, those will not be part of the slides. So you still need the video which makes it a bit cumbersome. If you are on the go, you just quickly want to watch something, you always have to navigate back to the site, you have to sign in, you have to find the session, you have to recall, did I already start this one? What was the timestamp where I was at? So it makes it a little bit more complex, but I think that is the price of everything being online nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a fair that's a fair comment and you know, I've I've experienced death by PowerPoint so many times where there's been so many slides and every slide had 25 bullet points. So I'm happy that's not happening anymore. But I, yeah, I do agree that it would be nice to have kind of a recap slide or a, even a recap presentation going through. This is what we talked about in the video or the presentation. Here are the like 10 slides with the key talking points. Uh, that'd be awesome. But yeah, wish list. Agreed, agreed on that one. Alrighty, so it will be about four more weeks until build. I'm anxiously waiting for this. I will also keep an eye on the session builder if they choose to add any more sessions the closer to the event we get. I think that was all we had on expectations. And after build is, is, is done, we'll definitely do an episode on what we found interesting on the announcements, on the content, on the sessions as well, when we know more. Yeah. The last bit, the unexpected question. Uh, Toby, I will be asking you the unexpected question. Are you ready? I am more ready than I've been in my entire life. Let's go. Excellent. What game was the first computer or console game you played? And you cannot say Pong or Pac-Man. <laughs> I think Pong and Pac-Man was before my time in a way. So I, I I think I have two answers to this one, top of mind. The first one is Yahtzee on an ABC 800, or if it was an ABC 80, but I think it was an ABC 800, whatever that is. Uh, my father brought that home sometime in the 90s, I think early 90s maybe. We had that down in the basement. It had only one thing, and that was, that. that's it. We could load it up using the 5.25-inch floppy drives, uh, that you kind of locked in place with a switch that made the clunk sound. And then it took quite a bit. You heard it load and it did some cool noises and it was spinning around and, you know, the entire building was shaking, it felt like. And then voila, after a couple of minutes, when it had loaded, we could play the text-based based Yahtzee game. So, you know, good times. And I, I pretended I, I was not many years of age here. 
I pretended when we were not playing Yahtzee, I could turn this computer on. It was just an empty console with literally nothing you could do except for maybe list commands or something, but I didn't understand that. And I would just sit and pretend. I just type things on the keyboard. And I, I thought it was so cool because, you know, this was the kind of Keytronic type of keyboards where you had the, the feedback when you click and, and the clickety noise, all that stuff. So a lot of nostalgia with that. I still have no idea what the ABC 800 was used for. My father did not use it at work. He brought it home from work because it was scrap computers that they were getting rid of. And they said, hey, if you want to bring this home, you can do that uh, for spare parts or for whatever. So he did, including the Yahtzee drive. So that's answer number one. Answer number two, the game that I really played, and I played it a lot, you know, around 1999 and until maybe 2003, that was Unreal Tournament. And I was ranked pretty high in Europe in the early 2000s, like really top five type of ranking. Uh, for the category I was playing in, which is called the, uh, that was the game type Assault. So our clan, we call them back then, or our group, or whatever you call them in, in modern gaming, we uh, we were ranked pretty high. We did games or matches every week. This was way before e-games were actually a big thing. So imagine dialing up with 56k modem to play games online, and nobody in the family could use the telephone because I was using the internet for two and a half hours playing a match not super appreciated by everyone else in the house, but I was pretty good at it. So those are my two final answers. Answer number one, Yahtzee on the ABC 800. Answer number two, uh, Unreal Tournament, which was game of the year, 1999. And I hereby challenge anyone tuning in on a game of Unreal Tournament. The new editions, the old editions, I don't care. It's probably pretty much the same. I have no idea, but I, I still challenge you. So. If you're tuning in and, and you play that game, let me know. Let's take a let's take a match. <laughs> I definitely remember Unreal Tournament. That was that was great. Yahtzee on ABC 800. I've never tried that one, but I think in the 80s and early 90s, we we did have plenty of different computer makers and brands like the ABC 800 that do no longer exist anymore. Interesting time. Alrighty. That was all we had for this week. See you next week. All right. See you then.